0: myself, a special podcast series celebrating 50 years of great composers at Wise Music, presented by Jill Graham and Dave Holly.
1: Welcome to Composing Myself. This week, Dave and I are joined by Helen Grime, a brilliant composer who's described as writing as though her music needs to be told. Helen,
2: welcome. Where are you
1: today?
0: Hi, I'm at home in London, in South London, Hither Green today. Helen, we
2: traditionally start these chats with um, with a question, which is, do you remember, can you remember um, the first time you ever were sort of aware and you came across a piece of music that just made you go wow I love that <laughs> whatever that is
0: I mean I, I don't know about the first time but I've got certain memories of certain pieces of music I mean as a child I was lucky because um, I was sort of surrounded a little bit by um, classical music my my mother and my grandparents are music teachers. Um, and so they, they weren't uh, professional musicians, but they, they loved classical music. And they, so we, we heard it and particularly, um, We were based up in Scotland, but a lot of my family were in Wales, so we were often quite long car journeys. And my grandfather used to make tapes for us to listen to, sort of educational, but I didn't think of it like that, you know. Um, So particular pieces of music, and I would have been four or five, that really, really struck. I remember um, Sibelius Violin Concerto, Sibelius Second and Fifth Symphonies um and and french music was just a, an absolute so um i had this tape that i used to listen to in bed um which had Fauré's pavan on it and i, I just love that um and, and debussy preludes and la mer and uh, and then so those were the very very early things i think probably when i was 4 or 5 and i they they just meant so much to me I just felt a lot for those pieces of music and I felt connected to them in a way that I didn't really actually with with pop pop music I I I never you know I like I liked my actually my mum used to listen to quite a lot of Michael Jackson and Stevie Wonder um so I I I did like that music but the the music that I really loved was classical right from the word go really
2: you you got into that the French music at four or five I I've very much come from the other way in that pop music is my thing massively, and got it from about the age of four or five. And then, really, in my thirties, you, tre- I tried to find classical music, and I tried all sorts of ways. But the way, and and you, you can try too hard with music. It, it, yeah. it gets you when you're ready for it. I think music, and it was it was exactly those French pieces, um, Debussy, Foray. Uh, um, it was, oh, it was uh, Eric Sarty is he French I don't know if he's yeah. even but he was sort of in that little pathway and then yeah. Sibelius was my next one so yeah. I was developing my 30s to taste you I think when you were it's just,
0: it just when it there's sort of resonance at different times and it you don't know like and I wasn't trying you know I don't think it was like that I was trying to get into it it was just a thing and I didn't really think about it didn't really think about it it just I just felt it. I think actually in the you say about Sati, but when I was small in the 80s, the Sati Gymnopolis were like the TV, they were on TV all the time. Like that music was around a lot, wasn't it? It would be yeah. used in um, different, yeah, different like drama series or, yeah, incidental music.
1: I mean, I, it's fascinating to learn you came from a musical household, Helen. I think your granddad studied with Grace Williams, did he?
0: Did yeah, get that right? he did. But he was. Um, he went to the Welsh College, sort of. I suppose when it was quite new, really. Yeah, yeah. Castle back then, I think. I believe. Mm. I. I um, and so, yeah, he. So he kind of went, studied there. I'm not quite sure how it worked out, but, you know, as you know, there was like the war and all of that kind of thing. So he kind of went back there as a student, as a slightly mature student, I believe, but I might've gotten that a little bit wrong. But yeah, he stayed in touch with her for many years and, you know, they have correspondence and letters and, and, and actually sort of, I knew there was that connection, but I didn't know her music that well, but I do have um, various scores and recordings. Now, and of course, of course, her music has been very much sort of rediscovered over the last few years, so I suppose that's um, that's to be expected really, yeah, yeah. a lot more, and there are recordings that we can listen to.
1: Fascinating. Hey, um, you went to St Mary's Music School, didn't you, up in Edinburgh?
0: I did. Um, I went there just for a year and a bit. There's, After- in, in Edinburgh, there's, um, they have this other music school called the city of Edinburgh music school which is based within a state school and there's various ones there's one in Glasgow there's one in Aberdeen and they're kind of connected um so they're sort of it's like a mu- we used to call it a music unit and mm-hmm. so it's based within that school so you might not be in the music unit and go to that school and yeah so I, I went to that for for some years and then I went on to St Mary's right before really sort of getting prepared to apply to music colleges. Yeah.
1: So at that point, I suppose in your sort of late teens maybe, did you know that you wanted to make music your career in a sense?
0: Yeah, I mean, in my teens, I've always had like quite wide interest and music was always like absolutely central to everything and very important to me. But I loved art and so I spent a lot of time in the art department and a lot of time in the music department. And I also, I had various ideas at points i wanted to be an archaeologist at some point and um so they were changing things but it just became i suppose clear that music was the thing that was most important or most i felt most connected to emotionally i suppose uh, than other things yeah and i knew it was something i I didn't know whether what it would be that i Mm. did composing was something i did i also played the oboe and that was important to me. Um, so when I applied to study, to do further study, I was applying for Oboe. And some places I applied to do se- second study composition. And some places I applied to do joint study. It depends what what, what they offered.
1: That's um, interesting, isn't it? So it's very much about what was on offer. as a, And therefore, you sort of maybe created a menu of participation for yourself. Was it a bit sort of collaborative like that then?
0: Yeah, I think so. Um I I sort of people were telling me, "Oh, you know, you should you should really do composing." I didn't like being told, "You know, you should do this, or you should do that." It's like, "Well, oh. if I want to try and be an oboist, I'm going to try and be an oboist. Um so there was kind of there was there was that, but there various people had said, "Oh, you know, I think you know, you've got a flair for the composition. You should you <laughs> should" do that sort of thing. Um and I was like, "Well, we'll see." Um so yeah, um and so I ended up going to the Royal College because they op- offer joint principal study. And I often think now, because now I'm teaching um in, in the Royal Academy of Music, um which yeah, it's, I think when I'm teaching my composition students and none of them do like joint principal study with an instrument, because I don't think you can't actually do that at the academy. And that's one of the reasons I didn't go to the academy. And the I, I think, oh, I wonder if I missed out by doing joint principal study, because there's a whole load of things that the composers study that I didn't study because I was studying oboe and I was doing all of the things that are related to the woodwind department. And it's, it's interesting, but I, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go back and change it because I think all of the, all of that, all of that playing and all of that time spent playing in orchestras and chamber music is absolutely central to my voice as a composer and what I do and how I interact with the music. and and how I write for orchestra, for example, Mm -hmm. is coloured by that. And it would be different if if I'd, you know, if I hadn't done joint principal study, I maybe might have gone down a slightly different route. Who knows?
2: When did you start? Was the oboe your first instrument or did you play a sort of gateway instrument?
0: Yeah, I played recorder and I did do, I did sort of like triple first study until I went. I, the recorder oh, was like quite sort of important for me. I did a lot of recorder stuff and I did competition. I did like, I remember doing, I think I did the Audi Young Musician or things. You know, I, I entered things on that um, and, um, and and I played piano as well. But, you know, that was very much like second, third study or whatever sort of down the line. I wasn't as good. You
2: know. and, and, and when did you start actually putting tunes together, making making some music yourself?
0: Again, um, it's difficult to think. I think it's um, like, again, I was lucky it was quite early. But I think the reason it was quite early was because in that music school, um, they did have they offered composition lessons and it was kind of like part of your musicianship. Like we did oral, we did chamber music, you know, we did all of those things. We had theory sessions every week and every two weeks, I think they rotated it with like some other thing, but every two weeks you could have composition lessons and like they, they had, you know, really good composers that were working in Scotland at that time. And my brother was already composing um, he's a couple of years older than me, and he was having lessons with John McLeod, who sadly died last year or the year before. Um, and yeah, I, I never had lessons with with John, but he was always a supportive colleague in Scotland. And growing up, but, and and then so after John McLeod, uh, Sally Beamish was around, and I saw other people having lessons, and I thought, well, I'd like to give this a go too. You know, I'd been sort of improvising. I loved sort of playing around on the piano particularly I think the I think that was what spurred me on was the fact that I could have some lessons with Sally Beamish and so I went and did that I had just a few very few maybe two or three lessons with her and then she left at that point it was sort of the early 90s and she had a young family and she was very busy and then I had lessons with uh Haflidi Halgrimson who is a wise music composer
1: yeah yeah he's got a lot of his work in Chester a right. cello concerto.
0: Yeah, really really interesting um very good composer. Yes, yeah, so I had some lessons with him this is before going off to college. So it was, you know, really top people uh, working in Scotland. And there was a lot going on in the 90s in Scotland. There was a something called the Edinburgh Contemporary Arts Trust and they ran worship, workshops every year so I was sort of submitting my music for that. So I had some, you know, performances and things that that spurred me on and um yeah it was it was it was great there was a great sort of support system up there for young composers I think.
1: I'm always curious about what it feels like to hear music you've written played by other people for the first time.
0: Yeah it feels kind of strange it's something I'm always talking to about my pupils as well because there's like lots of different levels of acceptance for me when I hear it because you've been going over and over in your head and like the way that I write I write quite slowly and I also just I sort of really mull things over and like every moment is like rehashed and it's gone over and it's edited and it's Mm
1: -hmm. in
0: such detail um and so when I get to the point where i let it go. It sort of depends how recent the piece was as well. Like if there's a bit of space between writing it and hearing it, that can help because I get a bit of distance. Um, but it it does always sound, no matter what how well heard your music is and how well imagined it is. It, um, obviously, it doesn't sound completely different to the way that I've imagined it, but it does sound different in reality. Okay. And there's so many different factors that go into play with that. Um, so I. I have to accept that it sounds different and in what ways it sounds different. And then it's juggling, how do I feel about it? Um, and not being absolutely colored by how do the performers feel about it? Or how does this commissioner feel about it? And me projecting what I think they think about the music. So all of that is, it can be quite confusing for me. So hearing it for the first time is like really, really exciting, but it's also terrifying because, you know, you're unleashing this thing. And really, you—you know—you hope it's good. You believe you—you you believe in it, but you really don't really have any idea if anyone else is going to think it's any good. Um, does that matter? I, I don't know. It, it does matter to me. Of course, it should. Well, it can matter. It
1: does no shoot about it, I suppose. But it's interesting at the SBNM when we used to work with composers having their experiences for the first time. A lot of it was that almost therapy of first rehearsal nerves you know because the players are seeing it for the first time and they want to do their best by it and it's almost best not to have the composer
0: there oh yeah for the first yeah. rehearsal well i had this uh you know generally you're not with orchestral things you're not usually not there for the first rehearsal which is great but re- like a few weeks but a month ago or whatever, I was over in LA for the very delayed world premiere of a piece in <laughs> 2019. Um, and so I had the distance of that, but what I didn't realise when I got there was that I was there for the first rehearsal. There, just, there weren't as many rehearsals as I thought, and I was there for the first rehearsal, and I was like, shit. You know, because you're just sort of thinking, like, you're hoping that some things are going to get sorted out, you know, and that, because it can sound pretty dodgy in the first rehearsal but the LA Phil, luckily are a very good orchestra um, and they sound pretty good even in their first rehearsal. So I was kind of re- relieved by that, but yeah, it's um first rehearsals are, yeah, they're definitely more nerve wracking, I think than the, than the, than the premiere
1: for me. I think so. Yeah. The pain <laughs> for everybody. You know, it's just, this is a thing nobody's ever experienced before. So uh, it's eyes down, let the rabbits see the headlights. Then, talk about it isn't it
0: yeah yeah, yeah and i you, think you need a bit of distance after these your performances as well to to, to process all of that
2: yeah you, you're experiencing different 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 emotions and 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 kind of thoughts while you're can, can you enjoy it listening to your own music playback? actually enjoy the music
0: was well, I've I've thought about this a bit because sometimes it was getting to the stage where I just wasn't enjoying it, you know, and I'm just sort of like and I I thought about this quite recently. Um so when my trumpet concerto was premiered in April last year, I, I'm not, I couldn't really enjoy that, you know. Um and it also it, it'd been a huge gap between having a premiere and having it um having it actually performed you know that was probably the first thing that I'd written that had been performed for many years with 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 the pandemic and I was just so stressed out honestly it was just um I mean my heart rate was just like my resting heart rate those days was worryingly high and I just thought look stop you know this is crazy so when I got to the American premiere, fair enough, it had been performed before. So I knew there weren't going to be major problems. I knew there was no mistakes in the part, really. Any ba- there weren't any major balance problems, et cetera. You know, people might not like it. That's a, that's another, another thing. And I just thought, you know what? Yes, a new orchestra is going to play this. And it's a Boston Symphony. Um, and you know, you're going to be working with a conductor you haven't worked with before. And yeah, he might not like it, he might not think it's any good, but it's a Boston Symphony. You know, come on, just enjoy this moment. Like, it doesn't get much better than having Andrus Nelson's conduct the Boston Symphony with Hawken Hardenberger in Tanglewood. Um, and I just, I, I enjoyed it. And, and that was it. You know, I just, I didn't get myself into an absolute tiz and i sat back and i i sort of actually allowed myself to think about what that moment was and i hope that i'm going to be able to do that more because i kind of thought as i you know got older and composed more that i would feel sort of more relaxed about these things and i don't but i i think it's because you know a lot of the situ the situations are quite highly pressurized and um you know, working with with an orchestra like the Aliso or the Boston Symphony, you don't want to you don't want to mess that up. You don't want for it to be a disaster. I mean, you don't want it for it to be a disaster ever. But obviously, the stakes are quite high. But you've got to enjoy it as well. So I, that's my new sort of mantra now. I really need to need to enjoy these moments because they're very special.
2: Have you got your resting heartbeat down?
0: Yeah, yeah. It wasn't too bad. <laughs> that's more actually, important. <laughs> Well, actually for that premiere the other week it was okay you know because I just had to accept the situation and I couldn't control I can't could there's a point there where you can't you're not in control anymore um and, and that's okay um and so I sort of went with it
2: I love to hear about the process of how things get made, not just in music. But do you do you have a do you have a way of an approach, a, a kind of process? Do you have a routine that you you stick to, location, yeah. time, that kind of thing?
0: Um, well, I I do, and I work. I'm in I'm in my work room just now, um, and I sort of work out of the second bedroom. And ideally, I'd love to have a dedicated workspace and hopefully at some point that will happen um I'd love to have a study but I do like to keep it very consistent so we do have a studio in the garden which my husband the composer Hugh Watkins works out of and he has his grand piano there he needs that for practice and so on and when he's not working there I could go and work in there um but I don't because I just like to keep I like my things to be where they are and I like you know so I've got like my here for example I've got my keyboard yeah. yeah. on one side and then I work at my de- desk and i of on sw- my swivel chair and I swivel between them and I have my Clavinova keyboard which I bought when I was a student at the Royal College of Music like in my second year and it's still working and it's actually coming to its own now because I'm writing a Missa Brevis and it's got an organ button and the organ button is being used for the first time which is great <laughs> Um so I've got that and it is quite cramped and I've got piles of scores my own scores and other people's scores and I've got you know sketchbooks and whatnot um and I've got a couple of pictures of paintings of tanglewood up up above my desk and uh, various things um and it feels you know quite comforting to have those things around me and I I like to have my my little comforting objects and things around me as well like I've got sort of like my little talismans that I I look to um when I'm when I'm working um so yeah and and I I I, I'm regular I have my day of teaching which is a Wednesday but obviously I have other things to do around about teaching um workshops and seminars and things but apart from that when I'm composing at home you know I go for my morning coffee I get back and I, I I start as soon as I can really and I do my morning session my early afternoon and and then my later afternoon I used to work a lot in the evenings and my you know my um schedule and my work patterns have changed a lot since I had children and um they'll probably go back I think um so I've, I've got a 2 year old and a and a, t- and a nearly 10 year old and so you know, when, when the 10 year old got to about five, I was working back in the evenings again. But now with the little one, I, I barely get any time in the evening. So I really do it, uh, in the, in, in the day, but I love working in the evenings actually, because I love that sort of quietness and that less that sense of needing to get things done, but wanting to get them done. So I'll probably go back to that, but, um, hopefully not in too obsessive a way. I used to be quite obsessive about it. And, um,
2: in what way obsessive?
0: Well, I was just working all the time and I wasn't getting any more music done. Uh, You know, I'd work all day and then I'd work all evening, just like, you know, I'd spend all evening like looking at two chords and turning them around or whatever. Um, And work work does
2: have a habit of expanding into whatever space you allow it, doesn't it?
0: Exactly. Exactly. It does. And, um, you know, you can... I wasn't getting more music written by doing that, and I also wasn't getting any uh, sort of headspace for other things. So, I think it's important to to really find that balance. I think that's something that I'm getting a little bit more of actually, just that that sort of juggling and. Um, I think it it's Hem- Hem- Hemingway,
2: I think it was, would only write 500 words a day, and he would stop after 500. He
0: yeah. would make it as
2: Good as possible, and then stop.
0: So yeah, there's, there's stuff left in the
2: tank. And you can get on with life. Yeah,
0: if you you know just exhaust yourself constantly, it's I yeah, it's um yeah, you've got to f- have that feeling of regeneration and of um yeah expansion. I think like in space, I think I think that's really important for me creatively. Is that I I need to feel like I've got space to do something rather than oh you've got to get it done in this time. And it's got to be you know I mean we need those, those deadlines, but I also need to feel like you know, there's all, there's all the space that I need, um, to, to be able to try and create something.
1: Mentioned Tanglewood a couple of times, Helen. Tell us about your experiences
2: there.
0: Yeah, so um, I was a. Competition Could I be
2: ignorant and ask what Tanglewood is? Actually,
0: yeah. So Tanglewood is yeah. There's there's kind of nothing quite like it over here. Um, it's it's the home of the Boston Symphony in the summer. So basically, when they get to I don't know May or whenever whenever the end of the that sort of season their summer season uh period begins they all move to um tanglewood which is a place there's a little place called lennox um which is in massachusetts so it's like a few hours from boston and everyone goes there and they stay in their summer homes Um, and it's all wrapped up with kusevitsky um who was a music director at the time and so they have it's, it's it's like this sort of massive sort of green space. It's like a theme park kind of for music, um, weirdly. So they have different concert halls. They have something called The Shed, which is an open concert hall. And so there's seating within it. It's open air, but also it's just open onto these huge green spaces. So people go in the summer and they will have picnics, a little bit like Glyndebourne or something, but that you don't have to dress up. And it's. Um, and so they'll sit on the grass, they'll take their chairs um and so it's been going for a long time. They've got other concert halls as well and they' they've just done they've developed a lot of new spaces. so as well as there being the Boston Symphony there the Boston Symphony have something called the Tanglewood Music Center, which is directly connected to them and under their uh, the same kind of bracket. Um, and so it's it's like an educational thing. And so fellows go there every summer on every instrument and some of them are already playing professionally. They might have jobs and others are just maybe finished studying. Um, so uh, sort of people, singers will have, lots of singers and um musicians so that they have orchestras that are playing and uh, around, usually around six composers they have there and you have your own studio while you're there and um so for example when i was there uh michael gandolfi who yeah. still leads the program was there and john harbison who also yeah. is a composer um wonderful composer and uh visiting composers who were there Sh- um Shulamit Ran, uh, augusta Reed uh, Thomas um, so great great sort of American composers they have lots of visiting composers as well so I went there as a fellow in 2008 to study and then they they tend to really support the composers or keep connections and it's there's a real history of that um, going right back and so Ellen Heistein who was running the Tanglewood Music Centre, um, she's very supportive. And so they commissioned me various years to go back. They performed my music. And eventually that led to them co-commissioning a piece with the Boston Symphony in 2019, mm. uh, which it's an orchestral piece called Limina. So, um, yeah, so it's just, it's been a place. And then it was lovely to go back. Um, after okay. that you know it was awful to see them have to be closed uh, mm. for so many years but it was so great to go back there in 2022 yeah it was last year it feels like so long ago <laughs> and I took my little one out there oh, and my brilliant. parents parents came out, out with me so that was a lot of fun so it's, it's
1: such a great atmosphere there and I think that,
0: fantastic
1: yeah and I think also that sense of everything that's happening there, there's an educational value to it. You know, whether it's for an audience member, a participant, a composer, whatever, there's just this great feeling of collaboration and spirit about the place. And you're a professor at the Academy now, are you not?
0: And um, what do you enjoy about teaching? Lots of things. I love that connection with the, with, uh, the younger generation of composers. I think it keeps me really open to... Listening and mm-hmm. um, finding out new things and, and and staying open to new things and new influences. Um, I love being able to pass on my own um, personal my own personal experience um, to the students, um, and also you, you know I, I you know I, I really want to just help help them on on their journey in any way that I can so you know it's not about um trying to push them in a certain direction but mm. it's just being part of that 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 journey for them and and making it as smooth as as possible and um you know opening new doors for them if I can suggesting things to them um, and I, I learn a lot about um composing through through that teaching and and through that interaction with them I think
1: it's quite a two-way street really
0: yeah yeah I think it's really important and it's it's important to feel like I'm giving back I've been you know given so much by other composers as well so I think that 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 history and that sort of connection and passing that forward is is really important
1: I think you're a very special relationship with Ollie Nuss and you know must have really helped with that cuz your generosity of spirit very much like his was
0: yeah i mean i i feel for them when i first started teaching in the academy ollie was still there you know um and he would come in and and teach the students and he had such a a, a wonderful way as you know with with teaching and um working with other musicians and younger musicians as well um and so i, I feel so much for the students who are now missing that but mm. it's lovely to be able to in some way be able to get some of that across or be able exactly. to take some of that forward and and of course now at the academy they are so lucky to have hams Abrahamson, who also has that amazing quality um with the students and generosity of of spirit as well as being a wonderful composer. He's a, he's a wonderful person as well. Mm. So they're very lucky.
2: You a question about something entirely different. <laughs> so, um, the piece that you, you, you did for um Simon Rattle when, when he became principal conductor at the LSO, Woven Space, yeah. So, I, I was looking for all of your influences and going to see what they were like, and then I it said that the influence was by Laura Ellen Bacon, Bacon. yeah. Is amazing. It was one of the most amazing pieces of artwork I think I've ever seen.
0: How did you find her? Well, she's incredible, but completely by chance. And I love finding things by chance. And so I'm always I'm basically always looking for stuff. I'm a bit like a magpie when it comes to looking for things that I can bring into my own sort of creative space and try and enrich that in and feel connected to, um, I love like feeling connected to other artists processes as well. I find it really inspiring. Um, and I just happened to be, I was visiting my, um, my mom who lives in Bexley and she, there's, there's this place called, there's a place called whole place quite near her. And it's like a Tudor house, um, with amazing gardens. And so we went, we went there and, um, there's a river uh, running through it. Um, and there was this like amazing sort of thing which I didn't know if it was organic I didn't know if it'd been built by birds or by wildlife or whether it was built by a person so there's like this brick wall and then there's a river and then there was this like woven um because there's a willow tree there as well yeah so there was a willow tree and directly opposite this was huge weaving which was incredibly organic shape coming down um over the wall right into the river and it was you know there was there was ducks there was geese it was everything sort of in amongst it um it's a, a living piece it's no longer there because the thing with um laura's work is that it In a way, it's quite sort of transitory because it she builds it and she builds it on location. But because it's you know these these particular ones were made out of willow, eventually they start to break down, Mm. um, and they become part of the they really do become part of the environment. And that's I find that very beautiful. It's a, a beautiful sort of transformative image to think about creatively. Um, so I was very struck by this I was just like wow like this this is incredible and I went into the gift shop and there was a book because um, I didn't know what it was it was a book and then I was like yeah okay so this is an artwork um, and then so I started looking I got all the books that I could get obviously because I was like this is amazing um, and then I found like all these videos on YouTube and I found this video of this um, place that she this woven space that she built in Chatsworth I think it was between these, these different yew trees. And I was just like, it's the idea of being in something and changing the space and changing the light and um, it being 3D. But also the process um, is so organic. So she has these plans and she has these drawings, but obviously it changes and it evolves as she's making it, which is something that I like in my process it's not all mapped out it, okay i have a, a clear sort of overview and i'm constantly thinking about that but i like for there to be those kind of moments where the artwork takes over and, and it becomes something there's there's something sort of sort of magical and um yeah it's sort of something you can't put into into wo- i can't put into words about that um and she, she, you know, she works so hard. So she's weaving these things and it's very physical. Um, she tapes her hands up and then these two things she's weaving. She's in the water for maybe like eight hours a day building this thing, the river. Um, I love that. I love that idea of, of, you know, sort of being so devoted to your art and being so in it, like it, like that art has taken over for her. So, yeah, I got in touch with her after I'd written the piece, actually, Um, because I was just really, you don't know how people are going to react. And I thought, oh, she might be really offended. She might just be like absolutely sort of disgusted by this piece of music. Like, what the hell is this? Like, how dare you use my work as a starting point? And of course, she wasn't like that. She was, you know, a, a very open I think there's also that thing, you know, when you have a great deal of respect for another artist or whether it be a, a musician or you almost don't want to, you're scared to meet that person in case they don't quite come up to the um, what you imagine them to be. And they might just be like a really scary, horrible person or something like that. Um, and she was she was wonderful. And, um, you know, she wanted to come. She immediately she wanted to come. She came to the premiere of the piece. Oh, fantastic! Um, and she's talked about it. She's she's talked about it a lot on her website and in different um, things as well. And she made an artwork for me, which is incredible. It's on our studio, so it's outside, and it's it's changed. Uh, you know, there's birds have been in it, like wasps, different things. It's changing. It's it's started. To, it's changed color. It's starting to break down in various ways, which is really beautiful. Um, yeah, and I know I feel very honoured that she that she that she gave me that, and um, yeah.
2: It, I mean, it was. I only looked at it on the on the internet, and it was a literal jaw dropping moment. I mean, mm. that is amazing. It was amazing. I couldn't work mm. out what it was. So it,
0: yeah, is it, it like is it a basket? Yeah. Is it a nest? Is it yeah. you know, you know who who's done this? It's it's very um, personal, isn't it? Um, and i think uh yeah it it's kind of mind boggling to think there are so many artists working out there that we don't know about but like that's why i, I try and keep myself open to trying to find out about these things because you never know when you're going to come across yeah. something incredible
2: how, how how did it then feel like to to have your piece as the as the the first piece chosen by simon rattle um must that must uh, have felt like quite an honor
0: it felt like a real honor i remember being really quite overwhelmed while i was trying to write it initially um feeling like that was a weight um at the time um but you know you get past these things and the piece becomes a piece and that's the most important thing um it was also quite a kind of challenging um sort of commission remit proposal for that because it was in two halves not even two halves two parts so they wanted a fanfare they so we actually want a fanfare for the opening concert and then we want you to develop that into a larger work for later on in the season um so I wrote the fanfare which I called fanfares because it's it's many different kinds of fanfares in one um but I was very much thinking about how that was going to travel into the rest of the work, how it, was going to be, how it was going to be connected or not connected and, and how the rest of the thing was going to evolve from that. And I knew I wanted it to be very organic because it was coming out of this artwork and this whole process um, directly from, from Laura's work. Uh, but it was quite a difficult thing to do, to keep your eye on a four-minute work, work that works and then a 20-minute work, which this can then become part of. So... Yeah, it was a, it was a challenge, but I I like those kind of challenges. It gets it gets me thinking in different ways um about what what I'm doing. So, yeah, I, I in a way I really welcome those those sort of changes of direction, I think.
2: I think it's a lovely idea to have a it's like a narrative arc across the season of 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 that that beginning point of the fanfares and then you you're almost working in the background it, that's yeah maybe not the timing but that would be for the, the public would think and then the work arrives at the end I think it's got a great
0: art to it yeah yeah it would be great if you knew you were also going to get like a similar audience so you're, getting, you're going to get some of the audience I don't know like if that even happened who knows yeah. um and whether they would yeah
2: that would that. be a great concept to actually sell the tickets yeah
0: yeah I can't That's remember really if impressive. it was, it probably was like mentioned in the program and things, but I, I don't, um, yeah, I can't remember exactly how they sort of build it. But yeah, it was very exciting. Um, and, you know, that was my first time working with Simon Rattle, and he was great to work with. I mean, he's such a down-to-earth person, you know, which is always so refreshing with conductors. Mm.
1: talks about being inspired by Laura how do you reach for inspiration or do you reach for inspiration you know it's like Ted Hughes, Elliot, Whistler, Early. do you seek
0: inspiration or is it, it you come across things that inspire you? Well sometimes I seek it and sometimes I really need it um, uh, sometimes I have sort of a really vague or very um, sort of diffuse idea of what I want to do and and it helps me find the the direction um where it, it sort of adds to that sort of um pool of things that I'm drawing on so I think it's both and sometimes honestly I just I, I'm searching around and I think oh god I've wasted so much time because I've you know I've been um researching this and I've been researching <laughs> that but the thing that I've come to realise is that none of that is wasted time is just part of my process and that I wouldn't get to the end point without going through that stuff. But sometimes it does feel a bit like, ah, um, but other times, you know, with the, the, the Laura Allen Bacon, actually I just came across that simply by chance and I knew it was something that then I was, I wanted to work with. And, um, another time that I came across, uh, Fiona Benson, who's a poet I set, um, in 2017, um, I came by, across that by chance as well, and I held on to it for a few years, knowing that it was something I wanted to wear work with. So that's really nice when that happens.
1: So those it's things good. that end up in your magpie's nest, in a sense, for a future yeah. attention.
0: Exactly. I mean, just the number of books I have. It's just, uh, I need to get rid of this.
2: <laughs> But do you, do you have a sort of notebook, or like an ideas box or something that you put things in metaphorical or or real
0: not really I've just got like piles of stuff (laughs) it's not very organized (laughs) but my mind's not very organized like that either you know I mean ideas why sometimes I do get ideas that come like you know in opportune moments but they're usually things like oh I want like the other day I was just about to start teaching and I'd been I'd been imagining the end of the Gloria in this, <laughs> in this oh, no. So I quickly wrote down some notes about like what I wanted to do musically. So I I do that. Um, but with, with, with the other influences, usually no, it's just stuff that I sort of gather and it's, um, and, I, and I sort of like to have it sort of surrounding me um, um, like a sort of cocoon, cocoon of things uh, that, that feel like they're all sort of going into the mix somehow.
2: Do you, do you, uh ever listen to music for pleasure or is it always work
0: um yeah it's something i think about because you know sometimes i'm not listening to that much music because you know i'm working i'm composing and sometimes you don't want to surround yourself with too many things or you know sometimes in the evening you're really tired and you just want to watch netflix or whatever um but i did think about the fact that sometimes we're not playing a lot of music in the house for that reason and it's I was played a lot of music and that was really important for me. So I think about it for my children, you know, like, are they hearing enough music? What are they hearing? And so on. And, um, and yeah. And so those we,
2: old mixtapes that you could, uh, if you can find a cassette recorder to play no, them. No, I don't
0: have one anymore. Yeah. We do have a CD player still. I was hanging on to that. We've got a very nice CD player. The, the other day actually, um, well, I got my st- I don't listen to a lot of my own music, obviously, because it's going round in the head the other day. But I did listen to um, the 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 new. There's a, there's a new release of my uh, second string quartet, which is coming out in about a week or so. Um, so I listened to that, and I listened to the whole CD. There's a Mark Anthony Turnage piece on there as well, and there's a piece by Paul Newland. And I very much enjoyed that. Um, mm and often i listen to things on youtube you know like sometimes my students will mention something and I'll, I'll i'll go and listen to that last night i listened to one of my students works that they'd sent me and that i would say that was a pleasure um and but yeah i classical music i i tend to actually listen to quite a lot sort of at christmas time i'll put on like a lot of renaissance music and not necessarily all uh, religious music but um yeah, I go through. I, I go through. I go through phases, but um, I listen to Radio Three when I can when I'm cooking, and it, I do find sometimes you'll hear something you haven't listened to for ages, and you think, mm. you know, it's it, it, incredible moment to to hear. You think you know something, but you know, um, it's wonderful to hear something by surprise sometimes. You know,
2: yeah. I, I was intrigued actually with you mentioning your husband. I, I was wondering how you both work together in possibly in the same house but you sold that by putting him in the garden and then I was also thinking well what do you do at the end you know my wife and I who don't make music we listen to a lot of music when we're cooking and whatever And you know I was wondering do you do the same or is that the last thing well we do
0: listen we do listen to Radio 3 um
2: because people have chosen that for you I guess yeah
0: yeah, and actually often at the time I'm making dinner they have that mixed tape thing on which is quite interesting where they don't tell you what anything is mm. but you get quite nice juxtapositions um and then you know sometimes you really want to know what something is so you have to go and like find out what it is by looking at that. Um yeah, so we definitely do listen to that but you've reminded me that I do need to put on more CDs for the children actually because um yeah, they 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 love music but I I I think there's sometimes maybe with professional musicians that we're putting CDs on less than mu- just general music lovers. Uh, yeah. And um, yeah, it's, 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 it's important to, to hear lots of things. I ha- I have started taking my older son to concerts though, and he, he loves, he loves going to classical concerts and I've taken him to all contemporary concerts as well. I've taken him to some of the music of today series, um, which is about right, that kind of hour-length concert. Mm. Um And so he was responding really well to that. So that's that's been fun, actually.
2: I'm, I'm personally a fan of hour-length everything, theatre. Oh, I know, it's so good. Anything more than an hour, I'm, re- I'm ready to go home.
0: <laughs> and you get a chance to have your dinner then, you know. Yes, yeah. so,
2: I'd like, like to start at seven, finish at eight, then you can have dinner afterwards or just a very early night. But um
0: yeah. I know so th- it's good.
2: The older I get, <laughs> that's what I want. Yeah.
0: I think so, things so are changing
2: a bit, aren't they? Do you think? Yeah. Be more definitely. of that. I've I've never never they are. I think. I think. I think even rock concerts are starting earlier. Yeah. Heather, it's such
1: a gr- privilege to get to see you and talk to you because you're busy writing perpetually, which is brilliant. What are you looking forward to?
0: Oh, I'm looking forward to lots of things. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm writing more vocal music at, at the moment, which is something I've wanted to do. And actually, I'm, I'm writing this Missa Brevis at the moment, and that's been um, a bit of an eye-opener. Because I haven't written a lot of choral music. Mm. I mean, I wrote, I've written a couple of carols. Um, but it feels a little bit like coming home, because I did sing in a church choir for many years when I was a young teen. Okay. Um and so it's, it's very important to me musically, all of that repertoire. Um, so that's fun. And, and then I'm, I'm, you know, going to be working on a song cycle for Claire Booth, um, with orchestra. I hope actually it's not been quite pinned down yet, but, um, and I'm also going to be orchestrating my song cycle for Ruby Hughes, Bright Travelers. Um, oh, wonderful. So I'm really looking forward to that. And then there are other vocal projects and things, uh, which I probably should mention, um, on the horizon. So I feel like that's all preparation. And then there's, there's a horn concerto also further down the line, which I'm very much looking oh, forward to. So
2: yeah, Sounds lots. of full pipeline, as they say.
0: Yeah, it's all a bit floaty at the moment. I think we're like pinning down, um, i think you know there's been a lot of backlog hasn't there Mm. after the whole pandemic with yeah making all of these things fit into seasons and all of that kind of thing um but yeah i feel really excited about all of that um again now and possible new directions by working more with the voice and and with text
2: it's been lovely talking to you um i've really enjoyed the conversation and thank you very much for your time episode of composing myself has been brought to you by wise music group thanks for listening